This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Be reading from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Good morning. I'm Pastor Brad. I'm the uh, transitional lead pastor here at Community Covenant Church. And this past week, um, my wife and I celebrated our birthdays. Um, I'm 52. I won't tell you how old she is. Um, But uh, one of the ways we did it was on Friday night, we stayed overnight in a yurt out in the uh, uh, nature center. And I got to say to you right now, and my wife is here, so I'm going to compliment her in front of you all. It's not very many wives that I know that will spend their birthday in negative 10 degree weather in a yurt. And uh, it was really it was really sort of fun for us because uh, I went up there ahead of time and walked out to the year so that I could get uh, a couple little gifts and stuff there. And then we cross country skied out there. And uh, I don't know, it's a one point seven miles or something like that. Keith, is that right? One one seven. It seemed like two to me, but if it's one point seven, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, and then and then, of course, I came back and I went out with her again. And, uh, you know, a year isn't really that warm at negative 10 degrees. In fact, I woke up twice in the middle of the night shivering in my sleeping bag because the fire had died out. So all that being said, um, if I sound a little delirious to you this morning, it's only because I, I've potentially lost oxygen in my head because it was all trying. Anyway, okay. We're, we're starting a brand new series of sermons here at uh, Community Covenant Church. And you got a little taste of them already in this little intro that we did for you. And I, I want you to know how this originated. This originated a number of months ago as I was sitting with our global mission team. And, and uh, we were talking about how important it is for the church, this church, and for the people of God's church, this church, to realize that even though we find ourselves in, in this transitional time, that God's got stuff for us to do. And I, I don't know if you've ever found yourself in transition. I suspect you have. And um, it, it can be really uh, 
invigorating for a congregation to realize that, that the wheels of ministry don't come to an end. The vision of God for reaching God's people don't stop just because we find ourselves uh, waiting for God to, to lead us to the next pastor. And as we were talking about this, um, we, we came up with this plan where we're going to spend five or six or seven weeks talking about this exponential mission that God has given us to do, regardless of whether you've been here a hundred years or this is your first Sunday. Um, I can't think of anything more healthy and more significant for a congregation than to focus on the main thing. And, you know, to quote a former pastor, the main thing, at least for the next eight weeks, is that God wants us to have an exponential impact on our world. And that world consists of at least three specific areas of our lives. It consists of our own kind of personal world, relationships, the people that we encounter every day in our jobs, you know, at a traffic light, the people that's uh, cut in line uh, at the grocery store, or, or how about this, the people that have more than 12 items and then they try to sneak through the 12 items or less. The, this is our world that God is calling us to have an exponential impact on. The second area of impact, of course, is the fact that this church is located in Alaska. And so we have been blessed as a, as a congregation, and I believe, and I haven't been here that long, so you can, you can dispute me on this, that God has not blessed us just to sit around here and say how wonderful it is that we've got what we got, but that God has blessed us so that we might be a blessing to, to God's people in Alaska. And then the last place, the third place that, that we can impact uh, the world in exponential ways is by the way in which we reach beyond the boundaries of Alaska, the U.S., into, you know, rural India or, uh, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, wherever God might be calling us and using us. So uh, for the next number of weeks, I, I want you, I, I pray that you will begin to see in a bigger a perspective, what God is doing and wants to do through us as a congregation. How can you make the most of this series of sermons? Well, you can make the most of them by uh, listening to the sermon, which sometimes they'll be really good sermons and sometimes they'll be mediocre, but just listen to it nevertheless, because my sermons are going to kind of key in to some critical components of what it means to live an exponential life. If you can't be here, if you're traveling outside, uh, go online and just listen to it in your, in your uh, spare time. And then the second thing you can do to get the most out of this series is you can read a book that we are offering to you free of charge. It's, a, it's courtesy of... World Vision, who has provided us with 400 copies. And there, there's a table out in the welcome area where you can take one. Somebody was uh, talking to me today. If you happen to be in a family where one of you likes to underline and dog ear pages, and you like to barely open your book so that when you're done, it doesn't look like it's even been read, then take two books. It's okay. But um, during this next eight weeks, we want to encourage you to take a look at this book called The Hole in Our Gospel. Um, at the same time that we're going to be reading this book, we're going to be hosting two opportunities for you to engage in conversation with others about this book. And the whole idea here is that, yeah, you can read the book in a vacuum, and if that's what you want to do, that's great. But some of the stuff that uh, Rich Stearns brings up in this book is going to challenge you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make you mad. It's going to uh, inspire you. And sometimes we need to talk with other people. So starting tonight, 
at 6.30. We're going to have a conversation group that takes place right here in, the, uh, in this worship auditorium. And, and then we have another kind of unique opportunity, and that is that if you go, uh, if you sign up to be a friend of this church on our Facebook site, you can access an online uh, uh, conversation group, group uh, through our Facebook. And that's, so you're too busy to be, to give another weekend, another evening away, then uh, you can interact with people who are reading the, the, the material, talking about some of the implications of this series for your own life. And then the last uh, opportunity, that's kind of three layers here, that, that we've provided for you is at least for the next four weeks, there is going to be on Wednesday evenings something that we're calling the Next Level, which is a documentary film series. And they're not connected, but they're films that are, that are about uh, issues related to the opportunities that God might be giving us to reach out into our world. And you can see the films and the dates that they're being shown on this little card, which is located inside your worship guide. So that's what we're on the, on the brink of. What, what is my hope at the conclusion of all this? My hope is, is that this congregation is at least more confident than it's ever been that God has put us in this place at this time for a specific purpose. My second hope is that if there are any of you here that are in a quandary about why your life seems so routine, that maybe, just maybe, you can begin to lead an exponential life uh, as a result of being exposed to what God wants to do through you in God's world. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this grand mission that you've given to us. Whether we're convinced of it or not right now is a different question. Thank you that today and for the next six or seven weeks, we can be laser focused on something that we, we believe I believe, is close to your heart. And that is the mission of God, God's love extended to the whole world. Help us to set aside the distractions. Help us to take off the blinders. Help us to focus on what the implications of this might be for us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So what does God expect of us anyway? That's how Richard Stearns begins the book. So if you take a copy and read it, this will not, uh, this, you'll hear it the second time from him. But what does God expect to, from us anyway? This is a very dangerous question. It is dangerous on at least two levels. It's dangerous, uh, first of all, because if we ask it, it implies that, that we... Uh, need to hear or want to hear the answer to the question, right? Uh, unless, of course, that we're just asking the question because somehow we think by asking it we can fool God into thinking that we really care. But I don't think most people are going to have those kinds of conversations with God. This is a dangerous question because it requires for us to stop and, and listen for the answer. And the second level, this is a dangerous question, is, be, is because if we actually ask this question and actually listen for God's answer... It will mess up our well-planned lives. It will mess up our well-planned lives. It will impact how we view our stuff. 
It will change our relationships with the poor. It will push us to change our behavior. It will call us to lead lives of significance that far exceed anything that we could possibly accomplish on our own. That's what asking this question has the potential to do. So let me ask the question to you again. What does God expect of us anyway? Now, by way of introduction, the the hole in the gospel, which is the title of the book that we are going to be reading together, uh, really is the hole that Richard Stearns is talking about here is a hole that we will be looking at, that we will be exploring throughout the, the whole course of this exponential sermon series. And this hole that he's talking about is the belief that being a follower of Jesus merely is intellectual assent. That at some point in our lives, whether as a child or a teen or adult, we come to this place where we, we are overcome by the, by the love and the grace of God, and we receive that, and that's all there is. Oh, it may also include you know, going to church on a regular basis or giving a little bit of our time or money. But we still go on with all of our other pursuits as if nothing else changed. That's the whole that Richard Stearns is talking about. You see, what we've done is we've taken, we've taken part of the truth of the gospel and we have said, this is enough. Some of us have the mistaken belief that once we confess our faith in Jesus, there's really nothing more for us to do. And what, what, what Richard Stearns is suggesting and what I want to suggest to you this morning uh, is that th- that isn't enough. Yes, we want to be overwhelmed. We want to be ravished by the love of God. There's no question about it. But that's just the starting place if we want to live exponential lives. It's just the starting place. This hole in our gospel is the result of failing to ask the question, what what does God expect of us anyway? In in the here, in in the now. And as a result, if if we don't ask this question, we'll miss this three-dimensional version of life that God has given us. We will be comfortable and we will be happy living a one-dimensional or two-dimensional faith in life if we don't ask this question. And one of the ways we intend to do this, as I've said, is, is by really focusing over the next eight weeks on what this life that's whole, it's the whole gospel expressed by the whole church, not just part of the church, to the whole world, not just our little world. What does that look like? So beginning today, I want to invite you to connect in this conversation, however you feel you want to. Uh, maybe for you, it means rethinking some things in your life. Maybe this is the first time you even thought about this this notion that faith and life could be exponential in its influence, and you just need to sort of sit around and let that ruminate for a while. You see, as we launch on this path of discovery this morning, I want to invite you to join me as we look at some very, very, very important passages of Scripture, and today, especially from the Gospel of Luke. 
It was read for us earlier, Luke chapter 4. And I love this passage from Luke chapter 4. I've preached it many times. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that this passage was the first text that I preached a sermon on in seminary homiletics class and where one of my fellow students fell asleep sitting in the front row. It, it devastated me at the time. I'm still trying to live through that. I probably should get some therapy about that. But nevertheless, I love this passage because this passage introduces us to the, to the, to the love of God for, for people. And it also points us towards sort of that primary impetus that, that moves Jesus into ministry. And, and, and that impetus is not his own ideas. It's not because he was the Son of God. It was because he was prompted by the Spirit. And lastly, I love this passage because it calls us, you and I, to lead a life that includes not just what we say, but what we do. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt. I was thinking about this morning as I was driving here and I passed a sign someplace about something going on at the Lions Club. And I thought to myself, you know, I've never been to the Lions Club. I don't think I'll ever go to the Lions Club. The Lion, I'm out of the reach of the Lions Club's ministry. And then I began thinking about Community Covenant Church. And I thought to myself, you know, there's probably a bunch of folks out there who have no idea who we are, or even if they do, they're out of the reach of our ministry. They're not going to wander in someday and go, hey, I'm here. But for me, somehow the connection is that when we begin to, to lead exponential lives, it isn't just about attracting more people here. It's about recognizing that God is prompting us to to serve and to, and to express the love of Jesus out there. So you don't need to, to rent a room. You don't need to, to have a seminary degree to teach a Bible study. All you need is that prompting from God to do something. The text that we read a moment ago really reveals God's heart. In fact, the reason I know it reveals God's heart is because this is the first sermon, at least in the Gospel of Luke, that, that Jesus preaches. His first sort of public pronouncement of his ministry. And, and whenever someone stands up in front of you, uh, there are two times when you really want to pay attention to what they say. It's the first time they say something, and it's the last time they say something. So at some point here, when I stand up for the last time, I'm going to say something way more important than I've probably ever said to you uh, since I've been here. And likewise, when your new pastor stands up here, uh, he's going to probably stand up the first time and say something that you really want to pay attention to. And that's true with Jesus. Jesus is pronouncing. Jesus is setting the course for his ministry for the next three years of his life by, by describing what the heart of God looks like in this text from Luke chapter 4. And I want to make a couple of observations about this text. And the first one that I would like to point out to you about the heart of God is that it is ultimately expressed. The heart of God is ultimately expressed in the story, this grand story, the scripture. And we talked about that quite a bit, actually, in the last sermon series uh, that we were in, the story we find ourselves in. But here we see it again. 
You see, Jesus isn't pulling these ideas about ministry and mission out of his head. He's, he stands up and he reads the scroll from the, from the prophet Isaiah, which, which is an expression of the heart of God thousands of years before Jesus stands up. And God has revealed his heart countless times throughout the scriptures, throughout the biblical narrative. And we, when we read the Bible carefully, we begin to see these places where God is expressing his love for the world. God is not trying to, to, to keep this information for a select few of people while, while the rest of us kind of grope for answers. That's not how God functions. The heart of God is quite simply to be in relationship with those whom God loves. And there's nobody outside the, the, that realm. And in this text, we see a picture of this heart of God revealed in the life of Jesus. And we see it close up as we see Jesus begin his ministry by preaching from this text at this time, the first words of his ministry. In this instant, when Jesus stands up in this sort of ordinary worship experience in Galilee or wherever he happens to be, Nazareth, he reads from this text, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me, he reads, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, in this, in this sermon, Jesus is expressing the heart of God that has been on the lips of the people of God, the prophets, the scribes, the writers of scriptures for generation. You see, God, God has been trying to communicate this love to a stiff-necked, uh, recalcitrant uh, people for generations. But they haven't got it all the time. And sadly, just like them, there are some of us who don't get it all the time. We've missed it. We've, we've missed this other piece of, of the gospel. We thought it was just about God and us, but it's about God and us and, and, and us expressing God to others. It's always been that way. If you want to know the heart of God so that you may begin to make an exponential difference in your life, then you've got to go back to the scriptures, just like Jesus did. And you've got to begin start paying attention to these passages that express this intimate heart of God for the world. I was talking with a, a friend recently who told me that her daughter was going to Spain for the summer for a Spanish language immersion program. And she said this, she said that even though she's spent many years learning Spanish in school, it's, it's really not enough. And she hopes that as a result of this sort of intensive immersion in Spanish language and culture, her daughter will know Spanish language inside and out. You see, this is what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that if we immerse ourselves in the, in the story of Scripture and begin to see, begin to recognize the, the, the heart of God for the mission of the world, it will begin to become part of us. But how do we understand 
the heart of God when we see it. The, the key to understanding the heart of God is recognizing that God's spirit, and I've already alluded to this, is the one who prompts us. The text describes that Jesus was led by the spirit into the synagogue that day. And, and then the first thing that Jesus does is he opens the scroll, as I've already indicated, and he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Living an exponential life by discovering the heart of God and its mission for the world comes when we pay attention, get this, to the prompting of the Spirit. There are a lot of times in my life, more than I want to admit to you today, where I have run off half-cocked because I think I've got a good idea. Or I've bulldozed my way through any obstacle that, that confronts me because I believe that God wants me to go someplace or do something or have something, whatever. As I have grown older and hopefully wiser, I have discovered that if I respond to the Spirit's prompting in my life, I don't have to fight so hard to accomplish what God wants for me. It's not a battle anymore. Oh, God, you want me to go to Alaska? Okay, great. Where are we going to live? Don't worry about it. Okay, great. Th this is what I'm talking about. What if we allowed God's Spirit to prompt us into the places of mission and ministry that He's calling us? When Jesus stands and reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, this is, a, is an ancient sort of prophetic formula that can be found in a variety of places in the Bible. And uh, in the context of Luke's Gospel, you'll recall, Jesus has just returned from spending 40 days in the desert where He's been tempted by the devil. And... Uh, and when the tempter finally gives up because Jesus uh, is impenetrable, God's Spirit comes and he begins to minister to Jesus. So Jesus isn't saying, in case the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, you better pay attention. No, he, he isn't implying that because I control the Spirit of the Lord somehow in this sort of Trinitarian relationship, where uh, we are three yet one of the same substance. No. Jesus has literally been prompted by God's Spirit, just as Isaiah was prompted thousands of years before, to write, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The prompting of the Spirit is what Jesus was waiting for. And what I want to submit to you today, folks, is that we do a lot of ministry and the Spirit has nothing to do with it. So why don't we stop and let God's Spirit prompt us to the people and to the places and to the activities that, that God wants us to spend our time. And the prompting of the Spirit is always subtle. It's always mysterious. And in my experience, when the Spirit prompts, you will know it because it will almost always prompt you to leave your comfort zone. So if the Spirit's prompting is, is prompting you to do the same old, same old, that's probably not the Spirit. Because as I read about the prompting of the Spirit in this text and throughout Scripture, that's not how the Spirit works. 
If we want to live exponential lives that are connected to the heart of God, then we must be attentive to the promptings of God's Spirit. Now, I know there are some of you here this morning who who are saying, here we go, Brad's a closet charismatic. It's finally coming out. Yeah, some of you are happy about that. (laughs) I'm not, really. But let me assure you that, that, that... It's just as difficult for me to, prompt, to, to listen to the prompting of the Spirit as it is for you. There's no magic. I don't have a pass because I have, you know, reverend in front of my name. It is, it's hard sometimes. The only thing I know for sure that is that life lived at the Spirit's prompting is the most adventurous, most exciting, and most deeply meaningful. life that we could ever lead. And I think the reason why I'm getting choked up right now is because I've spent 20 some years watching way too many followers of Jesus not experience that kind of life. Rather than than scratching and clawing our way through this life, trying to make things happen, trying to get to that next big thing, trying to live up to some, some, some expectation that we have on ourselves or somebody else has put on us, what if the first thing that we did was begin to wait for the prompting of God's Spirit to lead us into a life of service for the kingdom? What if every ministry that we were engaged in as a church was about this first? What if our lives be, began to become animated by, by a spirit rather than by our compulsive desire to impress God and, and each other with what good followers of Jesus we are? What if we simply ask the question once in a while, where might God's spirit be leading me? Leading us to, to love, to laugh, to give, to serve today. What if? Well, as we look back at the text for just a really quick moment, we will notice right away that that living an exponential life has sort of two sides to it, two sides of the same coin, if you will. One side is what we say with our mouth. The other side is what we do with our hands And this is, for Rich Stearns, the whole point of the whole in our gospel. He describes early on in the book how he spent most of his adult life as a Christian doing all of the things that Christians do, until one day Rich Stearns received a phone call from out of the blue inviting him to consider giving up his big house in the Philadelphia suburbs, his membership at exclusive golf and country clubs, his nice car, I think it was a Jaguar if I'm not mistaken, uh, his private school for his kids, and his chief executive salary to come to work for a relief and development agency that he had never heard of before, named World Vision. Now, I'm not going to spoil the story for you, but if you start reading the book, you're going to encounter it pretty quickly in the book, because that's what he starts out with. And if if you were to ask Rich Stearns today, he would tell you that it wasn't until he put all of those things on the table, it wasn't until he understood then 
what following Jesus meant in both word and deed. And Jesus reads from the book of Isaiah, and he describes what the whole gospel looks like, what, what, what an exponential life looks like. And the whole gospel is good news for the poor, and if you don't know any poor people, my advice to you is go where poor people live. They're everywhere. You don't even have to get on a plane, folks. This is why here at Community Covenant Church, we encourage people to follow God's promptings to go on mission trips. And to go into the downtown soup kitchen and go off-road into rural Alaska. Because that's where we're going we're gonna to see, where we're going to encounter the people who God loves desperately, who, who are poor. Jesus goes on to say the whole gospel is freedom for prisoners. I spent three years visiting a convicted murderer in Concord State Prison because he was young in his faith and he wanted me to teach him how to read his Bible and pray. So I went in and met with him every single week. And that's why here at Community Covenant Church, there are a group of people, men and women, who once a week travel up to Palmer, to the, to the men's prison, and go across the highway to Highland Correctional Institute in order to sit with prisoners and tell them about the love of God. Well, getting back to the, the original question that we started with a moment ago. What does God expect of us anyway? Now, I suppose there are ways we could read this text and we could read this book and we can nuance our answers in such a way that we would, could pretty much go on doing what we've always been doing and, pretty, and be pretty happy and content with our religious life kind of contained in a little uh, segment of our life over here and all the rest of our life that God doesn't have any input on over here. A lot of us do it and a lot of us are pretty good at it. But as I read this text, if I understand it correctly, living an exponential life takes place when we immerse ourselves in, in, in the narratives of Scripture that, that reveals to us the heart of God, just like Jesus did. And then as we wait for the Spirit to prompt us, we can begin to, to look for ways to, to get off the sidelines of life and begin to get in the game. And this is what I'm calling to start out this series of sermon, uh, three-dimensional faith. If we want to begin to answer the question, what does God expect of us? We must immerse ourselves in the story, the stories that reveal the heart of God and God's love for the world. We have to. And then after that, we, we, we can't just stop there, because if we do, then we will just be living a one-dimensional faith. We have to be uh, attentive to and ready for the Spirit to move us out of the groove, out of the rut, out of the place that we're in, to someplace else. Maybe not physically speaking, but at least in terms of how we spend our time. And then after that, we, we, we need to make room in our lives for the Spirit to prompt us into ministry that 
focuses on people that aren't like us, who are poor, who are imprisoned, who are blind, who are lame. You see, if we, if we engage in any one of these three aspects, it's okay, but it's not three-dimensional ministry. It's not three-dimensional living. It, 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 it's not exponential living. It's only when we take these three things and hold them delicately together that we begin to experience a life of faith and faithfulness like we have never experienced before. This is what three-dimensional faith looks like. This is the beginning of living an exponential life, folks. This is the basis of a life that encompasses the whole gospel and not just part of it. This is the starting point for answering the question that Richard Stearns asks at the beginning of his book, what does God expect of us? Jesus stood up in the synagogue that day and he picked up the scriptures and he read from the prophet Isaiah. And he read this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And here's the part that gives me goosebumps every time I read it. And when the people heard this, when the people heard this, they were amazed at what Jesus had said. They hadn't heard or seen anything like this before. And then Jesus says this, Today, today, this scripture becomes true in your hearing. If you need to come into church, what would it looked like if we began to embody a three-dimensional faith that had an exponential impact on our world. What would it look like? And I know some of you are already doing this in marvelous ways, but there's a bunch of us, probably about 80% of us, if you go with averages, that aren't. What if we just bumped up the percentages to 50-50, where at least half of us were living three-dimensional lives that wanted our lives of faith to be reflected uh, in the world, beginning today, will we be the people of God here in Eagle River, Alaska, who are drawn into an exponential faith by the heart of God for this world? Will we live by the prompting of God's Spirit? Will we begin to give ourselves away in ways that we never imagined? If we do this, there's no telling what God can do through us. Let's pray. Speak loud and clear over the, the noise that makes up most of our lives most of the time. Call us, God, to the next place, the deeper place. Give us the courage to make choices that we don't want to make. 
whether it means choosing to follow you for the very first time today or choosing to realign our priorities so that we can begin to live exponentially for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.